to have a look on the screen. Got four letters for you. Uh, F O M O or FOMO. Does anyone know what they stand for? Someone over here says. It's definitely affecting the way people make decisions. The way it works is that fear of missing out is concerned that if you commit to something, you might be missing out on something that's potentially better. So if you commit to an event, to attending an event, maybe that will mean you lock yourself into something and maybe another event would come along that you get invited to later, which would be better, so you fear that you'll miss out on that event. Or maybe you don't commit to a relationship because you fear that a better friend or a better romantic interest will come along somewhere down the track. Or maybe you don't take a job because you fear that if you take that job, you lock yourself into a contract and you'll miss out on another job offer that could be better. So this is fear of missing out, right? And um, the thing is, the problem with fear of missing out is that you don't know how things are going to work out. You don't know if the event's going to be good or not. You don't know how the friendship's going to pan out or the job's going to pan out long term. So what it often does is it cripples people and it puts people in a situation where they don't really make any decisions. You know, it's constantly keeping your options open all the time and don't get to make those commitments or go into depth into um, things that they might have otherwise. So I once invited a group of youth to an event at my house and one person replied via text and I quote, I might be there, depends if something else pops up. <laughs> That's fear of missing out. Uh, when friends of mine announced that they were engaged and they announced it to their parents, one of the mums wasn't happy about it, didn't like the idea, and she said, what if someone better is out there? That's fear of missing out. Also like zero social skills. Who says that in front of everyone? I was on a Theo's Beach mission once. This is what happens in summer. You know, Christians go down to holiday hotspots and run programs for young people. And uh, there was this guy who'd taken an interest in Christianity the year before, young guy, and uh, he'd sort of talked to the people about Jesus and so on. And so he sang this song about being a half-Christian. It's the name of the song, I'm a half-Christian. Uh, so sort of saying, interested in Jesus, not interested in committing. Again, fear of missing out. Also, he was really very popular with the girls because he could play guitar. So I think that had a bit of an influence as well. But why are we talking about fear of missing out? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, which is the chapter we've been looking at the last few weeks in this series, uh, and actually in many other parts of the Bible, Jesus does this thing where he separates people into two distinct groups. There are people who are embracing God's kingdom and there are people who aren't. There are people who are following Jesus and there are people who are actively rejecting Jesus or deliberately ignoring him. Constantly putting people into these two different groups. And the problem with fear of missing out is if you're not making decisions, then which group are you going to end up in? It's actually going to be a decision that's made for you because you're not sure which path to get on. We fear that if Christianity is true, then we don't want to miss out, right? Well, you want to be part of that. You want to be part of God's kingdom if it's real. But at the same time, oh, what if, it, what if it isn't? Or what if it's not what people say it is? Maybe I'm missing out on something better, some other spirituality or some sort of other you know, purpose in life because I've committed to this following Jesus thing. But of course, fear of missing out 
might mean that you don't decide either and you just sort of float along and just get pushed around by whatever else is happening around you. In today's passage, the way Jesus splits people up is in this analogy that he uses of good fish and bad fish. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, when Andrew was preaching, uh, Jesus separated people into two groups, wheat and weeds. At our combined service a few weeks before that, Tim spoke about the different seeds and how they grow. And you might go, now hang on, I remember that. He had a visual illustration of four different seeds. That's four different groups, not two. But in the end, there's two groups of plants. The, the plant that grows and the plant that fails to grow. So again, Jesus is pushing people into two groups. Elsewhere in the New Testament, there's more examples. For example, there's wise builders and there's stupid builders. And there's sheep and there's goats. Jesus is constantly doing this thing of pushing people into two groups. Now today's passage is only a short one, it's only a short story, but as you heard it read, it may have raised a few eyebrows. Let me just recap on it. Some fishermen bring in a net full of fish and they start sorting them out. What's good fish? Should we keep those? Bad fish? We chuck them out. Uh, pretty simple, that's the way net fishing works. Uh, but then Jesus explains the story and here's where your eyebrows might have gone up a little bit. In verse 49, he says, This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, jeez. You know, oh, maybe I'll get Alvanto out now so I don't have to think about that. Can we go back to last week's passage where a guy found some treasure and got to keep it? Wouldn't that be a nicer sort of passage to be looking at? And I guess the reason it can be uncomfortable uh, is that it is a bit heavy. You know, it's similar to the wheat and the weeds, the story a couple of weeks back, where the weeds, once they've sort of been sorted out from the, the wheat, they're chucked on a, a fire as well. And there's also weeping and gnashing of teeth in that section. But this sort of passage, I think, is the one that maybe we go, oh, I'm not sure, I'd prefer this not to be in the Bible in some ways. Because when we hear about a blazing furnace at the end of the age, it inevitably reminds people of the idea of hell, which can be a fairly unsettling and uncomfortable thing to think about. And it might bring to mind sort of negative things that are connected with Christianity or religion in general. Uh, you know, sort of nasty, nasty judgmental things. Uh, you know, war, war is something, you know, religion sometimes blamed for starting wars, sometimes fairly, sometimes not. Um, you could, it might also bring up sources of conflict for you, um, you know, because often uh, religion can create conflict in a family or a friendship, that sort of thing. So it's not necessarily the easiest thing to think about. However, I'm glad it's in the Bible because sometimes life is uncomfortable and conflict is a reality and I'm glad that God doesn't just pretend that that's not an issue or that this stuff doesn't happen. So let's analyse this passage in a bit more detail. As we do that, just remember it is the last in a series of stories that Jesus tells back to back and they're very deliberately put in the Bible together for us because they all sort of connect with each other and relate to each other. So in verse 47, the net brings in all sorts of fish, both good fish and bad fish. So just like in the story about the wheat and the weeds, uh, good fish and bad fish are allowed to exist together at the same time. And this is the period of history we're in at the moment. You know, God is not wiping out any, 
people who commit evil. You know, he's not just going, oh, you did something wrong, boom, gone, get rid of that person, get rid of that evil. He's allowing good and evil to exist side by side. And for the people who are bringing good and evil, uh, often in the same person, uh, you know, to exist side by side. The good news is that he's also at work trying to bring more good, more of his kingdom into the world. So uh, he's at work through his spirit. We have God's word in the Bible, which gives us a lot of guidance as to how to bring the kingdom into our lives. There's currently around about 2 billion people seeking to follow Jesus. We're not doing it perfectly, but we're having a go. So God is at work in the world, trying to bring about good through his people, but at the same time, He's allowing evil to exist. Then the fishermen separate the fish into two piles. This is where it's actually divided up and we can see clearly good and bad. And we're told in verse 49 that this is what the angels will do at the end of the age. So the end of the age is basically the end of the time where God allows good and evil to exist at the same time. So at that point, he's going to get rid of evil. Evil is going to be a thing in the past. Um, the angels choose uh, who is wicked or is evil, and they choose who is righteous. Righteous meaning being right with God. Uh, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. That's an important thing to remember. But finally in the story, the wicked fish or the wicked people are thrown on a furnace where no doubt they get burnt because furnaces are very hot and they have a seriously bad time. Uh, you know, whenever you see um, the words weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Bible, that means things are seriously bad. And, uh, you know, I, gnashing of teeth, do you guys, do you gnash your teeth? It's sort of like, you know, sort of like that. It reminds me of, the, I was watching the footy once and a guy had his leg really badly broken, like the worst break I've ever seen. And they showed all these different angles and you go, oh, he seems to be injured. And then they showed the angle where it really happened. And everyone in the room went, that's gnashing of teeth, right? <laughs> so anyway, it's seriously bad. And, um, and the angels, uh, the fire at the end, that inevitably, again, gets us to think about hell, which on this occasion is legitimate. It's, sometimes we try and insert hell perhaps into bits of the Bible where that's not reasonable, but here it's reasonable to think about hell. And the reality that at the end of your life, if, the, if Christianity is true, um, you'll end up in one of two groups. The group that is enjoying the presence of God with Jesus or the group that is thrown into hell and that's not the group you want to be in. And that's, that's, that's two groups. There's not three, five or ten. It's not a scale thing. You know, it's not like out of ten, how close to the kingdom are you? Are you a seven or, or a three? That, that's not the way it works. You know, I mentioned that guy before uh, who sung a song about being a half Christian? Sorry, mate. There's no such thing. You are either are following Jesus or you're not. Just like you can't half attend an event or half marry someone. <laughs> you're there or you're not, you know. So this idea of keeping our options open, that works in some parts of life, no doubt. It can be really good. But when it comes to faith, when it comes to the Christian faith, to keeping your options open and not making decisions, fearing missing out, that's something we need to avoid. Now, here's, I'm going to give us, to finish, I'm going to give us three things to remember, three important things 
as we try and apply this passage to our lives. The first is, this, is, this little story that Jesus tells is a story about the end of the age, not about right now. Okay? So it's helpful to think of life perhaps a bit more like a journey or a path that we go down. And at times when we're presented with decisions, we have to make multiple options. We'll have to decide you know, which path we go down. The question isn't like you'll come to a decision whether you're a Christian or not. The question is, what direction are you heading overall? Are you heading down paths that take you towards Jesus or are you heading in the opposite direction? At the end of the age, yeah, we'll be in one group or another. Right now, we've got to make these decisions to head in that general direction. So if you're a visitor today, checking out Christianity, wouldn't call yourself a Christian right now, um, please don't feel like what we're saying is because of the two groups thing, you need to decide now. Right? Don't want to put that pressure on you. What we'll be saying to you is it is a journey uh, heading, in, he heading the right path. It's a big decision to become a Christian. It's the biggest decision you could possibly make is to follow Jesus. So we understand that's not a decision that should be rushed. Uh, and so basically we'd just like to support you and help you along that path uh, and help you to the point where you feel ready to make that decision. So please don't feel that pressure, but at the same time understand what the overall direction is really important. Second key thing to remember is that the pile of good fish are righteous people. Now remember, righteous meaning right with God, in good relationship with God. Because it's possible when we read that there's good fish and bad fish, we would overlay the story with a sort of moral behaviour emphasis that isn't really there from Jesus. You know, so we might go, oh, good, well, good people are sort of, they're people who don't swear and they smile at you on public transport. And, you know, they, they'll probably give to charity and even if, you know, those people outside the supermarket who are asking for money, they'll probably talk, even if they don't give them money, they'll probably talk to them and be polite to them. You know, because that's what good people, good, that's good people, right? And so, and then we'll go, so that's sort of how it works. And the bad people are the dodgy people who you sort of want to avoid uh, on the street, whatever. Uh, but if that's the way you're thinking about good and bad, uh, then you need to think again. That's not the emphasis of Jesus. Because... Um, Following Jesus is so about so much more than moral behaviour. Right? I'm, I'm not dissing being good. It's great to be good. It's great to bring good things into your life. It's good to avoid evil. That's excellent. Um, but ultimately, we are judged on our response to Jesus. We're judged on, our on the opportunity he gives us to be forgiven and to enter a loving relationship with him. Um, that's the way it works. There's another passage actually um, with fishing with a net uh, in Luke chapter 5. And uh, in, in this situation, Jesus goes fishing with Peter. And he, uh, he does this miracle. Peter couldn't catch any fish all day. And then suddenly Jesus says, put your net to there. They bring in the biggest catch that they've ever seen. And Peter realizes this a miracle, realizes that Jesus is the Lord uh, and says, Lord, you need to get away from me. You, I'm sinful, I'm a bad guy, I've done bad things. You need to get away from me. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, I didn't know you'd done bad things. All right, let's take the shore back and I'll, I'll leave you alone. He doesn't do that. He makes Peter one of the key members of his leadership team. And that's because of God's grace and forgiveness. It's not about Peter's measuring up morally. It's about his response to Jesus, which was the right decision uh, and the right response, which is Jesus is Lord. 
Now, if we take this famous verse uh, from John 3.16, it doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever is well-behaved and respectable shall, be per- shall not perish but have eternal life. That's not what it says. It says, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. No one can make themselves perfectly righteous. That is only achieved through Jesus' sacrifice and through his resurrection. The the third and final important thing to remember is that it's the angels who chuck the wicked on the fire, not people like you and me. Now, I wrote some of this talk on the train. I was commuting into the city, had my laptop with me, typing away, and at one point I... I thought, oh, I'll look around the, the carriage. I wonder how many people in my train carriage are Christians. And you can't really tell, can you? Like, you guys just look like everyone else. You know, so unless you're wearing a T-shirt that says what you believe. So let's just assume for a moment everyone on the train was wearing a T-shirt that told you what they believed deep down. Uh, there would probably be some Christians on there, but most likely be plenty of people who weren't. How does God want me to respond or treat the people who aren't currently following Jesus? Does he want me to just sit back and feel superior to them? Like, those guys are in the wrong group, suckers. Is that what he wants me to do? Or does he want me to celebrate that they're going to hell, go, yeah, you guys are going to get what you deserve, that's the best. Or does he want me to hassle them? Does he want me to sort of get on them and start criticising their life decisions and criticising the path they're heading down in their life? that what he wants no because the final judgment is not made by people it's made by God and his angels in this story it is not our job to make those final judgments and go well you're in that good group you're in the bad group and sort of sift through our friends or a family like that it's not how it works there's no sense of competition in this chapter that Jesus is trying to get us to you know get one up over someone else Whilst uh, avoiding hell can be a motivating factor for people to investigate Christianity. So a lot of people do this. I, some of you probably did this, where the reason you became, started thinking about being a Christian is you thought, hell sounds bad, I'd like to know how to avoid it. That's a good starting point. That's a, well, it's an okay starting point. Um, but it is the deep love of God that should be the ultimate motivator to be a Christian. And that is the, the motivation that will, will last, that will continue on through the rest of our lives. So it's not our job to bring the message of judgment to people. We can alert people to the two groups, absolutely. It is our job to bring good news and the final judgment is left to God. And when people hear that good news and they grab it with both hands, they'll be like a seed that grows strong. They'll be like wheat among the weeds. They'll be like someone who found a buried treasure or a precious pearl. And at the end, they'll be seen as righteous and welcomed into the kingdom of God. That's the group Jesus wants you in, he wants me in, and that's the path he wants us on right now. Let me pray. Father God, it's a challenging passage when we think about uh, things that are going to happen a long time in the future. Things that 
like heaven and hell, which are, are not places we can visit right now. Please help us to hear the warning of the passage, but for that to, to lead to a gratefulness for what you've done through Jesus and a generosity to everyone else in the way we share the good news. We pray for those who are here today investigating you. We pray that during the rest of this service you'd fill them with your spirit so that they can get a clear sense of what it means to follow you. And we pray for those that we know, our friends and our family who don't know you. We pray for opportunities to share good news with them. And we hope that with your help they'll start down the path towards Jesus. Amen.